Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is the fourth edition of our NBA Wheel of Fandom series. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Sacramento Kings with our guests today. We have another first-time guest here on the Hoop Talk Podcast, so please welcome from Cook Talks on YouTube, Carson Cook. Hey, guys. My name is Carson. My Instagram is CarsonCook.Talks. I am one of the biggest Kings fans out there, and we can have some some good debates about today and how bad the Kings are, how good the Kings are, the future, and maybe even 2002. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. I like this. I like this already. Ryan, let's get into this pod, bro. I'm feeling real good about this episode already. So before we get right into it, Carson, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your Kings fandom and your YouTube channel. So I'm from Sacramento, born and raised. Parents are born and raised in Sacramento. I've been a Kings fan all my life. I remember screaming at the TV about Mike Bibby. Like, I'm that big of a fan. Uh, you know, my favorite player of all time is Pejas Stoyakovich, ever, like, in the entire NBA. My YouTube channel covers a lot of Sacramento Kings stuff. It has my podcast, Stuck in a Dream. I make shorts. Those actually do pretty well, so I'll put you guys on game with that. Those do really well. But I'm really excited to talk about Marvin Bagley, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese, Buddy, all about that. Coming up with the NBA draft should be a good one. And on that note, let's get right into it. So I'm just going to read out some statistics before we get started. The Kings record this year was 31 and 41. They finished 12th in the Western Conference. Their head coach is Luke Walton. They averaged 11th in points per game with 100 with 113.7 in terms of opponents per game. They finished second to last with 117.4 points per game. In terms of offensive rating, they were 11th in the league. Defensive rating, they were last in the league. In terms of pace of play, like I mentioned in the last episode with our NBA mock draft, they finished they finished in the top 10. Uh, in terms of pace of play. So, Carson, I'm going to start with you. Just give your overall thoughts so far on this on this season and just give a layer grade. So, offensively, obviously, we're, we were great. You got Darren Fox, Tyrese, you're going to put up numbers. Now, the problem is that defensive end of the ball, you have guys who can't play defense. Darren Fox, when he's not focused on it, he's not winning, then why is he going to play defense? Just like Zach Levine in Chicago. Tyrese is a... A decent defender. Once he gets a little more muscle on him, too, he'll be chilling. Uh, Buddy is an awful defender. Doesn't know how to guard me, so that's an issue. Marvin Bagley is not a smart defender. He has all the the ability to play defense, but he just can't. Rashawn Holmes is an undersized big. But overall, I'd give us a C grade. It wasn't great. It wasn't horrible. That's why we're picking up the ninth pick. Jalen, what's your feeling on the season, and what's what's your what's the grade that you're going to give the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, I gotta rock with Carson with the C because of the fact that there's two factors that I think is super important when you talk about this team. The first thing is the coaching, bro. We'll probably get into this a little bit later when we talk about free agency because I think the coaching aspect is going to be really important in terms of how this team decides to move forward. Um, this is one of the best off seasons ever. If you're looking for a free agent coach, if you needed any excuse to get rid of Luke Walton to improve in the coaching office, it probably would be the perfect time to do that right now. Just throwing that out there in the streets. 
Um, that would be number one. But number two is what Carson said beforehand, the personnel, dude. I mean, as a team that doesn't really fit well together, you guys have blimps here and there of guys who are definitely going to be top-end talents for this team. Obviously, you talk about Tyrese Halliburton and, of course, De'Aaron Fox at the top. I thought Rashawn Holmes showed pretty good flashes. Of course, being undersized big, I think, is one of those biggest, one of the big things that hurts him on defense. But overall, I think that he's a guy who can pretty much play within the kind of up-and-down system that you guys would probably want to run next to a guy like Fox. I even think that Harrison Barnes, despite the fact that I'm sure he'll be a guy that'll be like on the trade block um, for most of this offseason just because of his value to championship-level teams, he's a guy who was pretty much a, a model of consistency at least over the last two or three years that he's been on this team. So I think you guys got some interesting pieces. Obviously, there's just a couple of names across the board that like you just got to figure out like what you can turn them into asset wise or is, is there a way to maybe put them in a better system with a different coach that might be to maximize their efforts so I got to give them a C because I think that the personnel is good I just think that the coaching is hurt like hurt them significantly and I think there's a couple of things here and there that have to be tweaked in terms of the roster to kind of really maximize some of these young guys and I think I would have to agree with the panel here and give them a C I think the big thing is personnel. You have to put the right team around De'Aaron Fox, and the Kings have not simply done that at all. Buddy Heald struggled this year. Marvin Bagley has not lived up to the second overall pick potential that we thought he was going to. And, of course, when you talk about coaching, Jalen's been a huge advocate of getting Luke Walton out of Sacramento, and I think I think that they, there's just room for improvement, especially on the defensive side, like both Jalen and Carson have mentioned. But on that note, considering we've we've listed a multitude of issues here, for the Sacramento Kings. I'll go back to Carson on this one. What is one thing on the agenda that you believe the Sacramento Kings need to address this offseason? I think the big three, Harrison, Buddy, and Marvin. You have to figure out what you want to do with them because before you can want to sign Rashawn Holmes back, I know he was looking for like four-year 80 mil, which that's not bad, honestly. Compared to what, what Buddy Hill's getting paid, he's getting paid 26 mil. And Rashawn's giving you better production. But I think you need to look at what you want to do with Buddy. Either determine, like, we want to build with him, a 28-year-old shooting guard that's not even better than the guy we just drafted. Marvin Bagley, who has all the potential in the world and just hasn't played up to it. And Harrison Barnes. He gives you a high a high floor, but not high enough of a ceiling. So I think you need to figure out, do you want to trade those guys? Do you want to build with them? Because I think Harrison and Buddy are the same age. And Harrison's been in the league two, three years longer. So definitely address that. Obviously address the the coaching situation. I give him two weeks. If you're not at 500 within two weeks of the start of the season, can him because there's an issue if you can't get this team to 500 in the first couple of weeks of the season. I know D'Antoni was expected to leave Brooklyn. Hey, all I'm saying is he's got a guy like De'Aaron Fox and a guy like Tyrese Halliburton and Rashawn Holmes. He can run up and down the floor. You know he's going to make Marvin Bagley a beast. I'm sorry. He he will. So just just to stick with Carson on this, because I know Jalen agrees on the idea of getting rid of Luke Walton. And you mentioned Mike D'Antoni, and there's a, a lot of free agent coaches. If you were to get rid of Luke Walton, who is the coach that you would want to see coach your team? 
I would love Mike. Like, you look what he can do with James Harden. He, James Harden was a, a decent player before going to Houston. Like, you can see the potential. But De'Aaron Fox has already showed that. He showed that he can average 25. And you got pieces around him. You got young players who could fill a role. Mike Andoni is one of the best offensive-minded coaches of all time. Look at what he did for Steve Nash. Got him two MVPs that probably weren't the most deserved. But Mike D'Antoni's the perfect fit for this team. Now, Monty McNair does know him as an assistant GM at the time with the Rockets. Maybe they have that connection. Hey, D'Antoni, I got a job for you. The other one is Alvin Gentry. He's on the bench. He's an assistant for the Kings. And you saw what he did with New Orleans. They're a decent team. Did, saw what he did as an assistant with the Warriors. I like him, but my number one is D'Antoni. Jalen, before we get your thoughts on what the Kings need to address in the offseason, I want you to retort to Carson's points about Mike D'Antoni and Alvin Gentry being the coach. And if you have any other suggestions, you can list them. I mean, I think those two ones are perfect. I think the main thing that you got to figure out or the main thing you look at with Alvin Gentry, too, is Mike D'Antoni disciple in terms of that. So in terms of the philosophy of being an up and down run and gun team, no matter which one of the two you get, you're going to get that play style. And I think that's the most important thing because it maximizes De'Aaron. The other thing is we talk about the guard position. Carson went in and talked about uh, Steve Nash and talked about James Harden. Let's talk about the idea of unlocking the offensive game of Tyrese Halliburton, right? Like we talked about the idea of De'Aaron Fox, but I think that having a more up and down style member, when you mentioned Steve Nash, not the most athletic guy ever um, by any stretch of the point guard position, definitely a more cerebral player, definitely a guy more predicated on being a facilitator. Sound like, sounds like Tyrese to me. I'm not saying that Tyrese is going to be an MVP caliber player under Mike D'Antoni or Alvin Gendry. Not saying any of that. I think De'Aaron Fox has a better chance of reaching that kind of status in this kind of offense. But I think it'll make Tyrese a little bit more aggressive as an offensive player. And I think that's one of those things that they can really use because now you have two pretty much rangy guys who who are willing to lock down on the defensive end because like Carson said earlier, when Fox is engaged, he can get down. He can get down. And we already know that Tyrese is willing to uh, lock up on one of the better teams, uh, one of the uh, better opposing teams perimeter player. So I think that either one of those guys would work really well for this team because at the end of the day, you cannot sleep on Fox's speed, and that's the kind of pace that he wants to play throughout the game. I don't think this is the kind of team that ever wants to be a half-court offense, and I think if you can put them in a position where they're always up and down the floor, I think you're getting the best version of the Kings. And I think being able to unlock Tyrese's potential is going to be key considering that he had a pretty good rookie season, and like Carson mentioned before the podcast started, if they had not taken him out of the starting lineup, he probably could have won Rookie of the Year over a LaMelo Ball. So I think that his impact on the Sacramento Kings is going to be vital for the future, especially when he pairs up with De'Aaron Fox as part of his fast-paced offense. But Jalen's sticking with you on this one. What is one thing on the agenda that you believe Sacramento needs to do this offseason? I think Carson kind of summarized it really well, talking about the three guys and in, in healed Barnes and Bagley in terms of just like making a decision on them. I mean, you got nearly 60 mil tied up just between those three guys and arguably neither one of them fall into that second best player on your team range. And like Carson said beforehand, I think the guy they just drafted in Tyrese Halliburton might be their second best player already. And he's 
pretty locked up for the uh, for the foreseeable future. Only Owen team, yeah, four million right now towards the team's cap, and that's something that you want to work with. It's one of those things philosophy wise we see in the NFL where it's hey, try to build a good team around these guys while they're on a rookie deal. They weren't able to do that with De'Aaron Fox, and he got that big time uh rookie contract extension, and that was clicking. Literally this year, twenty eight mil is smacking the cap. So I think the biggest thing is. Trying to see what you can get for those three guys. I think the most important thing when you talk about these three guys in particular is that if you're going to load them off, you have to identify what your philosophy is in terms of moving forward. I think that's got to be the number one thing. If you're unloading these guys, are you doing it for draft capital? Are you trying to put yourself in the Oklahoma City Thunder range where, you know, they have Shea Gilgis Alexander, obviously, at the head of things? Similar in this case, it would be Darren Fox, and you're trying to see what hits the wall and see what sticks. Are you in a situation where you're trying to turn those guys into viable, you know, 22 to 26 year old players that can maybe contribute right now? Are you in a situation where you're simply just trying to upgrade at the position, even if they're on the older end, they're guys that can at least contribute to making a playoff run. You have to determine as the Kings exactly what kind of team you're trying to become because you can't just off offload these guys for anything, I feel like, because these are still, at least I'll say more so in terms of the potential of Marvin Bagley and the upside, like Carson mentioned beforehand, that the floor in that Harrison Barnes provides, I don't think you can just throw them away for just anything that another team uh, slides in. Uh, you know, it's a potential offer. And I think the big thing is trying to find an identity, like Jalen mentioned. I think mm-hmm. this team in Sacramento has been – has been in an identity crisis for the past 10 years. And it's kind of a weird, it's a weird thing to say because I know that this team can become a playoff team if they put the right, the right pieces around De'Aaron Fox. I think that this team has potential, but they have to figure out what they, they have to decide what team they are. Is this team heading toward yet another rebuild when it looked like a couple of years ago, they were beginning a rebuild or is this team trying to enter win now mode? and possibly trade the ninth overall pick for some players to help build the supporting cast around De'Aaron Fox. Now we enter the fun part of the podcast where we talk about free agents and trades, and now we begin with the free agents. So just to go over the cap situation right now for the Sacramento Kings, like Jalen mentioned earlier, around $60 million is tied up between De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and Harrison Barnes. They have about $30 million to work with in the current luxury tax space. And in terms of current allocations, they have $120 million in total cap allocations. And their current cap space is not looking that great. They are $60 million over the cap. But potentially, in terms of possible of cap space, the maximum that they have is about $5 million. So with that being said, Carson, I will start with you. I wanted to read out some options that could be the next step for this team. You can trade young players for veterans. You can stand pat and allow the young players to develop, target the big free agent or superstar, or blow the team up. Out of those four options, what do you think is the most likely option for the Sacramento Kings? I say you let the young players develop out of all those. I do like a couple free agents that aren't the best players, but they I, I like their role with the Kings. A guy that would never happen, but I would love would be Lonzo. I love. Imagine like he he's it would be small, right? But he's at what six six. Mm-hmm. So him, Fox, and Tyrese. 
that's a decent like obviously you'd be small so you'd need some big men in the at the four and five. Malik Monk, hey, call him up. Him and De'Aaron Fox are best buds. Uh I love how he could come off the bench. He doesn't need a starting role, but you can't tell me um Malik Monk can't just come in, give you fifteen and then just leave. Like that's all you would have to do. So I definitely don't think blow it up because you've already gotten this far with Fox. If you wanted to blow it up, you might as well just send Fox, Tyrese, and Marvin Bagley for Damian Lillard. But you don't want to do that because, I mean, I'm not trying to make the playoffs for two years and then Dame's gone. And it's been miserable enough to watch them try to put around a decent team. But this is kind of the first team that's had, like, an identity. You have a big man who wants to be here. Rashawn Holmes wants to be here. De'Aaron Fox wants to be here. Tyrese loves Sacramento. Now you have to fill the places around that. Now my favorite player isn't Rashawn Holmes because I don't like how he fits with the team. But if he wants to be here, this is the first guy who's wanted to be here since the Marcus Cousins at the big position. Otherwise, you've had a bunch of just fill-ins. Like you would regularly just sign Hassan Whiteside as your big man. And what does that do for you? It makes you – uh a top five pick in every every draft in in recent history. Definitely don't think blow it up because there's still some guys out there who, hey, with them, I still like how we look. I think it will be interesting to see what they going what they do going forward because I think if you if you look at the last two options, targeting the big free agent and the superstar and blowing the team up, they're kind of in this rebuild phase now where. They're trying to decide whether or not to push forward with this rebuild or enter win-now mode. And I think tonight's draft might signify what they do next, because I think with the ninth overall pick, they can do a lot of things. And considering how deep this draft is, they can maybe use that pick to get some veterans to help with the supporting cast. So I think a couple of interesting veterans could be potential targets for the Sacramento Kings, but... Jalen, now transitioning to you on this one. Given the four options that I have listed out, trading the young players for veterans, standing pat and allowing the young players to develop, targeting the big free agent and superstar, or blowing the team up, what do you think is the most likely move for the Sacramento Kings? I think we might, for this team, we might actually have to put a reverse on that trade young players for veterans thing. And it's more like trade veterans for young players. Obviously, the guys that are at the top list in the trading board are and Buddy Hill, 28 years old, Harrison Barnes, 29. Obviously, Marvin Bagley's at 22. And that's one of those ones where, especially when you have a lot of, you know, contract control over him long term, that's the thing that makes him the most attractive is just the affordability of him at the big man position if you can develop him. I also do see them in a position where I I can see them retaining a guy like Terrence Davis. I think that's something that they might definitely express. And then obviously, you know, when you look at some of the veteran, like this team is actually for a team that was you mentioned beforehand that was looking to make a rebuild play like a couple of years ago, they got old fast. Like yeah. they got old really quick. Rashawn Holmes, 27, Maurice Harkless, 28, uh, Hassan Whiteside, 32, Corey Brewer, 35. We already talked about those other guys up towards the top and Barnes and Heald, uh, nearing 30, DeLon Wright, nearing 30. Like this team 
for a rebuilding squad is pretty old. So I yeah, think that besides Tyrese and Marvin and De'Aaron, like yeah, exactly, old. exactly. So I think that's the biggest thing. I think when you talk about a current core in terms of guys, you know, you're gonna move forward with. I think De'Aaron, obviously, De'Aaron. I know that we'll talk about this a little bit later with the trades, but I think De'Aaron's obviously untouchable. I think Tyrese Halliburton, that's where things get into question, especially depending on what the package looks like. Like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I would say as of right now, most Kings fans would view him as an untouchable guy who essentially chose them in the draft from everything that we heard about him. I think Damian Jones is a guy they're going to definitely want to move forward with as well. Marvin Bagley, I think with a different coaching situation, I think the faith can be there. Um, I don't think there's a reason to give up on him just yet unless it's just simply he wants out that bad. And there have been reports around that. But is that about his playing time? Is that about his impact on the floor? I think there's a lot of. Yeah. Or, well, or I was going to say or the coaching, which are all like underlying things that I feel like you can address without having to move him to get an improved situation. Then from that point, like I said, grabbing Terrence Davis, I think that'll be. One of those big things. We know we're gonna, we know they're gonna pick up options on guys like Kyle Guy, Lewis King, just to fill out the roster in terms of making sure that they have that. So, um, I think the main thing when you look at this team is that they kind of need to young out real quick in terms of their roster because they've gotten so much older and kind of let things develop. And I think uh, we'll talk about target big free agent superstar later because I think that'll be involved in their youth movement in terms of maybe some potential trades we talk about. But Carson, I want to I want to kind of swing things to you real quick in regards to the stamp pad and allow young players to develop aspect of this uh, conversation and focus it around the ninth pick. Right. So presuming that tonight you guys keep the ninth overall pick. Um, and of course, you know, depending on how all this goes, this might age well, this might age horribly. We'll have to see how this goes. But if you are looking at what the Kings need, there's a lot of older guys in this draft that project really well to be day one impact players. There's a handful of younger guys that are also, you know, there's top-end talent there, but, of course, once you get to nine, things get a little frisky in terms of what they'll translate to. Um, at nine, is there a player in mind? Is there a position at mind, if you're not really sure about a specific prospect, that you would like like for the Kings to pick up, considering what you what your philosophy for them moving forward is? So I saw this stat. It said, in the past 10 years, the Kings have only drafted two forwards in the first round. Can you name either of those forwards? No way. I'll give you a hint. 2017, we drafted one. And then the other one's a foreign player. And oh, he wow. wore that type of jersey, that Kings jersey, that type. Number 18. So it was Omri Caspi and Justin Jackson. Those oh, were the I remember only, Justin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those okay. were the only two in the past 10 years. I want them to draft a forward. That's what we're kind of missing Harrison, like, obviously he's a, he's a four or three at times. But what I was saying earlier is his floor is really high, but our ceiling isn't as high with him. You go out there and get you a guy who, hey, let's take a flyer on, like, I think this dude can give us 15, four rebounds, and maybe two assists right straight out of the gate and be an impactful player with De'Aaron and Tyrese. Now, first two players I think of, Franz Wagner. And Moses Moody. I hate Franz Wagner. Really? 
Yes. Okay. Okay. We got to Okay, Ryan. We just did the. Okay, so so me and Ryan were celebrating a little bit because we literally just did our mock drive yesterday. That's who we had for um for Sacramento. Why don't you like? Okay, why don't you like Franz? And why do you like Moses Moody more? Is probably another way to like also phrase it. So the reason I like Moses better, okay, just to start it off, is Moses gives you a higher ceiling as well. I think they're about the same as a floor. Mm-hmm. Like they're both the same play style. One has a seven-foot wingspan and can go out there and guard and knock down the three-ball at a higher cliff. Mm-hmm. Where Franz Wagner, honestly, the last thing – what's the last thing you remember about Franz Wagner in the uh, in college basketball? <clears throat> Him airballing <throat> that shot. And I do not want that next to Fox and Tyrese. Obviously, he's going to be a solid player. He's skilled, and that's why a lot of people want him to come to Sacramento. It's basically another Tyrese, but he's 6'9". But Moses Moody, I just like his potential a little more. If you're going to go out there with the ninth pick and we're actually drafting a player, then go out there and get the guy who, if they're at the same level right now, has the potential to be even better. When I was originally doing my research, I liked Jalen Johnson, but him coming to Sacramento would be another Marvin Bagley, and I think he needs to go somewhere like San Antonio where he has a little more structure just because – he, look what he's done in the past. He left high school, left college, mm-hmm. and if he comes to Sacramento, it's just going to be Marvin Bagley 2.0. So I love Moses Moody. I love, uh, obviously Franz Wagner as a second, and then my third would be Sengum. Ooh, okay. But that's if you don't bring back Rashawn. Okay. If you don't okay. want to bring back Rashawn because he's going to be cheaper. He's a better, def- he's a decent, he's a bad defender, but great offensively. And he's, what, seven foot? Mm-hmm. So he's taller than Rashawn. Let's say his potential on defense is a little higher since he's a little bigger. And his offensive capability is probably better than Rashawn. Ryan, like, build upon that real quick. Because I think I want to stay on the draft real quick. Because obviously this goes into the philosophy of what they want to do moving forward. And I think the most interesting thing about that, that slate of guys on Carson's big board, essentially, for Sacramento, is that no matter what, they're addressing a need. It's either the center position, when you talk about Sengun, or in terms of the two forwards, it's the two-way wing spot, which is something like Carson mentioned beforehand. They haven't really drafted much, and it's hilarious now thinking about that stat because now that is like the cream of the crop in the league. You can't get those around like that much anymore, and the biggest thing that's most difficult about grabbing them is that the elite capabilities of them range from player to player, which is why... I think that's what motivates Carson to put a guy like Moody at number one because of what his ceiling looks like in terms of being able to grow beyond just the typical three and D wing everybody looks at. I think that I think that that's something that's really interesting. I kind of want you to like build on that because I think that's important when talking about what this team, you know, will do moving forward. So how do you feel about that, especially after we just did our mock draft the other day? So I think it's very interesting because when you have a guy – in Franz Wagner, who is one of the best defenders in the draft, from what experts say, he helps fill a role that has not been filled very well this past season, and that's defense. When you talk about one of the best defenders in the league, or one of the best defenders in the draft, one of the names that keeps consistently coming up is Franz Wagner. Now, you can look at that Michigan game where he airballed the last shot and say, you know, as a Sacramento fan, there's some trepidations about taking him, which is why I understand why Moses Moody 
is your first option. However, I think Moses Moody could tonight get get selected at either six, seven, or eight, and he may not even fall to nine. So, so can I get your big board real quick? Your one through eight. Yeah. So, Kate Cunningham going at number one, Jalen Green at number two, Evan Mobley at number three. At number four, I had Jalen Suggs. Five was Jonathan Kaminga. Six was Scotty Barnes. Seven was Davion Mitchell. And then eight was James Booknight. I think yeah. James Booknight as well. Yeah, eight was James Booknight. And then nine was Franz Wagner. So mine, I the guy who I think, there's a little off topic from the Kings, but the guy I think who could fall could possibly be Jalen Suggs, honestly. So, so hear me out, right? Orlando, go ahead. Okay, go I ahead. Know what's going so on. So Toronto, okay. like, let's say they don't draft Suggs. They think Fred Van Fleet, Malachi Flynn are, are starting point guards for the future. And maybe that, like, obviously I'm just thinking outside. Orlando's like, well, I got Markel, I got RJ Hampton, I got Cole Anthony. Like, J- Jalen Suggs is probably better than them, but I need to fill a, a position. Gold OKC is like, I got Shea and Lou Dort. Maybe I, I don't want to go with him because, you know, Jalen Suggs needs a decent team around him, and we saw that with Gonzaga. He elevated that team, but that team was already going to be good in general. Oh, Golden State Warriors are like, well, I need a small forward or a power forward or center because we got Steph and we got and we can pick, take a point guard with the 14. And then Orlando's like, well, I already took, let's say, uh, I had them taking Kaminga. We already took Kaminga, so let's go get us a score. James Booknight. Sacramento doesn't need a point guard. We got De'Aaron Fox. New Orleans is like, I got Lonzo. I got Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I got Keir Lewis. Charlotte's like, well, I got LaMelo and Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. San Antonio's got DeJounte Murray, uh, Lonnie Walker, Derek White. Indiana's like, hey, I'm taking him over uh, Malcolm Brogdon. So if, that, if Toronto doesn't take Jalen Suggs, I really realistically think he could fall. And I don't think he will, but he, there's a possibility. That's just like a wild take. Ryan, do you want to retort, bro? I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted for so, lack of a word. So I guess in that case, cause it, this okay. is actually a very interesting discussion and a very interesting point that you brought up because I had mentioned this with Jalen. I thought the Gonzaga team that Jalen Suggs was on was already great. Because they had NBA players go, coming in, Corey Kisper and Joel Ajayi. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Jalen Suggs is going to make him look a lot better because he's a, a great player. But is he the number four pick right now because he almost won a national championship and almost went undefeated, or because he's actually better than Scotty Barnes, Moses Moody, James Booknight, Franz Wagner, Kaminga? And then you remember, you got to draft for fit. A lot of these teams up here, Golden State. They're not drafting for the for, for the future. Sacramento already has their future, hopefully. New Orleans already has like solidified kind of guards. Now, if he falls that far, yeah, you take him. But realistically, a lot of those teams don't need a point guard like that. I guess in that case, does Scotty go at four to Toronto? That's a possibility. Because think, they got Pascal. And Pascal and him can play next to each other, but they're also talking about trading Pascal. So if you reset the, the, the future, you trade him to, let's say, Golden State, 
right? You got Scotty Barnes, Fred Van Fleet, Malachi Flynn. Now you don't look too good at that, but it's better than having, I think, a team with Jalen Suggs, Fred Van Fleet, and uh, Pascal for the future. Because that team maybe gets you to the 10 seed, 11 seed. Maybe in the East, I get you to the AC because the East is awful. But I really, I don't like Jalen Suggs that much. Now, I, okay, so I will say that Carson is prefacing his take by saying that realistically, from the board standpoint, with all the hype, he doesn't see this this happening. Um, so I will obviously leave that out there as something where it's like, you know, if somebody's the odd man out, his belief is that it's Jalen Suggs because of the fact that. If Toronto doesn't take him, the point guard aspect of this gets really dicey in terms of teams after. So that's where he's selling me at. I'm not going to lie. That's because that's an interesting way to look at it. The only thing that I do wonder is whether whether or not Orlando would really pass on him twice. That would yeah. probably be my – that would be the one part where I run into, like, the, the roadblock of could they really pass on him twice? That would be the Johnny um, Flynn. Steph Curry. Essentially. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the big thing that I look at. The other thing is, you know, the recent trade that sent um the seventeenth pick um to from Memphis. From from Memphis to uh oh, yeah. New Orleans, now putting Memphis in that tenth spot. They could take him. That's That'd kind nice. of that's one of those things where if he if he falls, then he actually fall in the top ten because they they desperately need another shot creator, they need another guy. Who can uh, be a, a like a, a high level ball handler either next to Ja Morant or coming off the bench for Ja? Um, I have Josh Giddy going there for, um, for them just because I think that Josh Giddy is everything that they wanted Ju- Justice Winslow to be for them. Six nine rangy guy who can facilitate, um, create for those. Talk about him to Sacramento. A lot of Kings insiders. I wouldn't be surprised. And see, that's the thing. I was going to get your take on that, too, just because you talk about guys falling and Josh Giddy is like all over the place because he's such an enigma. He's not a guy who's got like he's not a high volume scorer. I think he averaged like just under 11 points per game, but he seven boards, seven assists per game over there in the NBL, which is translated relatively well. I'm not going to sit here and use LaMelo Ball as the, the, the poster child or anything, but there's some real NBA players over there um playing in the NBL as well. So, um. You know, sticking with that real quick, though, does, is that something when you talk about the forward position? Because he's a point guard. Like, if we're going to keep it real, like Josh Giddy is a point guard. But at 6'9", a facilitating point guard that you can put at the three is an interesting thing that also does play in the favor of a team that likes to be, you know, up and down. So where does Josh Giddy fall on a Sacramento big board for you? So I honestly haven't done enough research on him, but from just his like God-given ability, his Mm -hmm. height, his weight, his all-around ability, great facilitator, right? Average seven assists, you were saying. Mm -hmm. And imagine putting three guys who could all handle the ball, and I think that's very important in this league. You Mm -hmm. have to have guys who, yeah, they don't have to be set up. Look at the Lakers this season. Like you had LeBron, and he's the only one that can play make. For other players, but if you give them De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese, and Giddy, they can all make it work for themselves. But they can also go set up Rashawn, Marvin Bagley out there. So imagine putting him and Bagley next to each other, both guys who amazing offensively. Now defensive end still scary, but if you're outscoring people, you're outscoring people. <laughs> so I really like Josh Giddy, like in my top five. Mm-hmm. Maybe nine's a little high for him, unless. Memphis is probably going – that's the only reason they move up, I believe, mm-hmm. is unless they like a guy like – maybe they like Corey Kispert that much and they were afraid New Orleans was going to take him. 
Maybe they like Keon Johnson. Maybe they like who else we got going before they had him. I had them originally taking Garuba. Okay. Because That's not a bad one for them either. Now you got Jonas gone. And mm. I think Steven Adams was a big setback, honestly. Mm. Okay. So, Ryan, I mean, I think we should kind of, you know, I think we can com- continue forward with uh, Sacramento from the standpoint of focusing on their offseason from a free agent standpoint. Um, who are some names that you were thinking about in terms of this team targeting? Um, because there's a lot of different routes they can go. Like you said beforehand, they got $30 million in the luxury tax to play around with. Obviously, the mid-level exception is near 10 mil, I believe, um, which is something else that is something that's going to be expressed throughout a lot of teams this offseason um, to help sign guys. So, like, Ryan, who are some names, just to kind of throw some – so throw some guys out there for me and Carson to kind of work with. Who are some names that you think that these guys should target? Obviously, the top of the list is if you can bring back Rashawn Holmes, that's go-to number one. Obviously, other center guys on the board is hijacking Jared Allen from Cleveland, ironically enough, who was an interesting defensive fit for a team like this. But who are some other guys that are potentially on the market that you think would be interesting? Like I said before, Sacramento got a little bit of paper to play with. So I will throw out a couple different names for you guys. And I think these are a couple of interesting names as I was looking through the free agency list yesterday. So, of course, we have Rashawn Holmes at the top of the list. I also want to throw out a name that could be that could be interesting. What about a guy like Narlins Noel? I think, you know, with a, with the productive interior defense that he provided to New York uh, this past season, I think that could be a very interesting fit. And then I know... Carson also mentioned Malik Monk as somebody who can give you that scoring coming off the bench. Maybe you take a, a flyer mile on Zach Collins if his option does not get picked up by the Portland Trailblazers. He is a restricted free agent, and there are some injury concerns. So I do think that there's a chance that they may not even test the market with him. I would say another name that keeps coming up for the free agency class, I would say is T.J. McConnell. is somebody who can lead an offense and he's a very consistent player on both sides of the floor. I would probably even say another kind of risky name that maybe Sacramento could take a chance on, John Collins. He's young. He is athletic. He could mesh well with this fast-paced offense. So there's about six guys that I named. So, Carson, I'll start with you because I know you were shaking shaking your head at a lot of these names that I threw out. First of all, just give me your thoughts on the six guys that I listed and who do you think Sacramento should target? So I'll give you my top three real quick. John Collins is at number one, obviously. He's what Marvin Bagley is supposed to be. Is he not? Everybody keeps trying to take my guy, bro. This this is a theme on this podcast that everybody wants to take John Collins from my Atlanta Hawks. You're not getting him, bro. It's cool. It's cool. I don't think so either, but he's your, he's got to be your number one. Hey, I think at he least, should be at the top of most boards, though. I believe that. Send him the, the biggest big offer you can so that Atlanta has to match it and then they're screwed. I mean, so, that's a whole separate discussion in terms of having to deal with that. But we our, our power forward center position is all out of sorts in, trying to, in terms of figuring out what that rotation looks like. So you got a point. I, I really like Jared Allen. I think he's what – I think he's a better Rashawn Holmes as of right now, honestly. Rashawn Holmes gets a lot of love in the NBA. But in my opinion, again – He's too small. Jared Allen is has, is an elite defender, and he's playing in Cleveland, so he doesn't get the same press. They're not winning. But, hey, he, he gets up there. He plays great defense, and he has to back up 
Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. You can't tell me he can't back up Tyrese and De'Aaron. He could do that a lot higher at a rate. Same reason, like, why Donovan Mitchell looks so good on the defensive end. Because Rudy Gobert's back there. My other guy, you did not say it, Laurie Markman. Hey. Okay. Okay. He's a stretch, right? He's a stretch. He doesn't like playing inside, which sets up Rashawn really well. He can play the four. And De'Aaron Fox and him pick and roll, pick and pop. And then my big issue with Luke Walton this past season is with Marvin Bagley. How are you going to have Marvin sit in the corner all game? He's a pick and roll player and a pick and pop. So maybe if you have Luke Walton leave and you have the, the decision between Laurie Markinen and Rashawn Holmes, why are you putting Rashawn Holmes in the pick and roll every time? He could sit on the block. That's my opinion. Malik Monk, I like. TJ McConnell, no. He's a, I like DeLon Wright better. Just my opinion. DeLon Wright, 6'6", six, six, and he's a point guard. Does the same thing that TJ McConnell does, but TJ McConnell is just like a little more scrappy, but what does that really even mean, in my opinion? Uh, who are some of the other guys you said? You said, uh. Yeah, I mentioned a bunch of different guys. Yeah, Rashawn Holmes, Zach Collins, Malik Monk, TJ McConnell, then I said John Collins. Here's my trepidation on Jared Allen, because I think, yeah, Jared Allen is a great fit for the Sacramento Kings. I think Cleveland wants him more. I think Cleveland's going to match that offer sheet. You think they're going to run a Mobley-Allen? I think that there's a there's a huge possibility that that happens. That's tough. Like, you got to think about that. That's two legit seven-footers. They're not Tim Duncan and David Robinson, though. Like, at, neither of them had the skill that Tim Duncan possessed. So, I think there's a definite chance it all becomes in the draft. Does Do they trade up, maybe? Or do they trade back? Because there's a possibility they trade back, they were saying. Now, does Jalen Green? Jalen Green's probably going to Houston. But imagine if Houston goes out there and says, hey, I'm drafting Mobley. And obviously then, they're drafting Jalen Green, and then Jared Allen's staying there. But I think the Rockets are taking Jalen Green. Because he's kind of what they're missing more. Like Christian Wood is a legit four that can play the five in certain times. And I think Christian Wood and Evan Mobley are a better fit than Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. I agree with that 100% actually. So in my opinion, I think Cleveland needs to trade back. Hmm. Because maybe they just trade to the four and takes trade to the five or four, take Scotty Barnes, but get like a late first inside of that. I kind of feel like there's a chance that they may not pick Evan Mobley, which in that case, like you said to your point, I think they're going to trade back. There's a chance that they may trade back to six because if they don't get Evan Mobley, they don't like what they see out of him, they're probably going to trade a couple picks back and look for a guy maybe in Scotty Barnes if he's still there. I would probably say – I don't know how far they want to trade back, but I think if they're going to trade with Oklahoma City at six, Scotty Barnes could be a guy who just falls into their lap, which the, the upside's there. The potential is there. Best trade would be them to trade back to to OKC, maybe get one of those late uh, OKC picks because I think OKC needs to make a move. Like, Scotty Barnes right. is good, but he's not Evan Mobley, in my opinion. Like, I think they're missing a center, but, hey – OKC, OKC could be happy, like, hey, we got Scotty Barnes, this is the guy we've been waiting for. But maybe they're like, 
hold up, Toronto might take him and Jalen Suggs might be there. We don't need Jalen Suggs. Other one is Orlando. Maybe Orlando is like, hey, I, I need Evan Mobley. But they all remember they also got uh Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba. So it's like it, it's iffy. Does Cleveland who who do they trade back for? That's the thing though, and when we're when we when we talked about this during um our mock draft, there was the chance that Cleveland would trade back. And I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's going to happen now because I think that there's a strong chance they take Evan Mobley, which means we could potentially be seeing a Jerry Allen, Evan Mobley front court, which I think will be very interesting to see considering you have two pretty strong interior defenders. Now I think, but no shooting, you're right. In that that lineup, Isaac Okoro, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton are taking every shot they can. I think it'll be interesting to see what they do tonight because I think that they could go as far back as nine and maybe Sacramento could come up with something that maybe you guys could take the third overall pick. And there's a chance that you draft somebody like Evan Mobley. Jalen, I want to get your thoughts because look, we've, we've listed a lot of different free agents and we've also listed a bunch of different trade scenarios where Cleveland could end up getting out of the third overall pick by trading back. There's a chance, like I mentioned, that Sacramento could be interested in that third overall pick to take Evan Mobley. But let's just hear your thoughts on the free agents and these draft scenarios as well. I mean, everything you guys said was really interesting. Talking about Cleveland moving back, I think if they made any switches with OKC, for example, OKC has been heavy on the radar with Scotty Barnes. I think the only reason they move up to three is to target a guy like that. I think with the struggles that Toronto had at the center position for most of the year, if Evan Mobley falls to four, that's a situation where there's no way in the world they let that pass. I think that's where Carson's scenario talking about Jalen Suggs falling is gets gets really interesting, right? Because if Scotty and Evan Mobley go before him and Jalen Suggs ends up becoming that fifth guy, are they really going to pass – Are it, talking about Orlando, are they really going to pass up on the rangy wing that is Jonathan Kaminga, which they have a crazy track record of picking up guys who are 6'8 plus with a plus wingspan that have the projection to play both sides of the ball. Then OKC with a second pick, maybe that's where they get a little dice rolly and decide to grab the best point guard on the, on the draft board, talking about Jalen Suggs. But then again, you could get the next best scoring option – at six with James Booknight, or you could take a flyer mile on another foreign player in Josh Giddy, who could be an interesting guy who could run up and down with a lot of the athletes that OKC has. So there's a lot of different routes that they can go, which makes it really interesting for where Sacramento can end up across the board, because I think that a lot of that disruption at the top is going to influence what Sacramento decides to do at that nine spot, because I think as if a guy falls It'll put them in a really interesting situation, and we can't pretend like it's not possible. We just saw it with Tyrese. Everybody had Tyrese as the second, as the second or third best guard on the board easily that year, easily that year, and fell significantly through the draft. Now, yes, maybe that had a lot to do with his own personal circumstances. It sounded like he was almost targeting Sacramento from what some people say about his agency. But at the same time, regardless of what the influence was, we say it saw a top five caliber player drop to the to the the mid team to, to to the mid lottery area. 11, 12. Yeah, I think it was eleven twelve area, mid lottery, late lottery area, and it was completely unprecedented. So I think that's something that we should definitely keep an eye out on when we talk about what the Kings have coming up. I think when we talk about the free agent aspect of it, um, 
I think the Jared Allen one is probably the most intriguing one to me. I'm not just saying that because I don't want you guys to touch, touch John Collins. I think it's just more so out of the fact that when you talk about Jared Allen from a defensive standpoint, it really, really addresses the the interior lack of you know rim protection that they have I think one of the biggest things that Carson touched on was how good a guy like Rudy Gobert makes Donovan Mitchell look like as a defender um same thing with really most of that team for Utah yeah. right they, they, entire, is yeah, their entire starting lineup is not made up of made up of elite wing defenders I think you could maybe say that Royce O'Neal is probably their best perimeter yeah. defender and that's the only reason he's on the floor now, I'm not saying Jared Allen is Rudy Gobert by any means, but if you're talking about a translation as the next player within that ilk, I think obviously you start talking about guys like Jared Allen, Clint Capella, and you kind of work your way down in terms of talking about that guy that pretty much is a around-the-rim defender, a guy who does most of his dirty work above the basket, you know, and does most of his, you know, most helpful things on the defensive end. So I think that that addresses their teams need in two ways if you lose Rashawn Holmes just due to situation obviously Jared Allen is a perfect fit from a center perspective but then also talking about addressing that defensive need um I think after that um Ryan this is one of those teams where I think throwing out my favorite name and TJ McConnell just doesn't really work out um I love TJ as a scrappy defensive guy at the guard position but I really just don't know if this team needs guard play like that I think I think that Carson made it uh, very clear talking about their wing position needing depth significantly. I think regardless of what happens, they address that in the draft unless they trade the draft pick away. We're going to actually move on to that in a second. Um, But I think regardless, I think the forward position is going to be something that they target a lot. The kind of names that come up in that area get kind of tricky because there's really not a lot of guys that I think may fit this team's timetable for that. But um. I think that's a good way to segue into the trade aspect of Sacramento because of the fact that they've been in the news like crazy between names. I've heard Chris Stops. I've heard Miles Turner. I've heard, obviously, the one that's at the top of everybody's list is Ben Simmons. So, Carson, I want to start with this because Ben Simmons, right? It's not very much else to have to really say beyond that when knowing that this is going to be like the biggest topic of NBA free agency for the most part, as opposed to like maybe where some of the top name guards decide to sign. Ben Simmons, for whatever reason, from Philly is commanding crazy capital. I mean, they are throwing out just like ridiculous numbers. I heard something like a sign and trade with Kyle Lowry that could also involve the number four overall pick. And a bunch of other stuff still apparently did not entice Philly enough. Um, I've seen interesting stuff when it comes to Sacramento specifically that either Tyrese or even De'Aaron Fox would have to be included in a trade package in order to be able to get a guy like Ben Simmons. First off, how do you even feel about the idea of Ben Simmons on your team? Right. And then number two, what do you think is actually a legitimate trade package if you're Sacramento to acquire a guy like Ben Simmons? Because I feel like there has to be a point where you hang the phone up. And I'm sure it starts with we want De'Aaron. Yeah, you're going to hang the phone up. But I think after that, that's where things get kind of interesting. So I love that Ben Simmons fit. Like you can't tell me him next to Fox, Tyrese, just the pick and roll is going to be disgusting. You put him in the pick and roll with him. It's kind of like what they did with. Joel Embiid, but to a different 
there's a different change there. Now you have De'Aaron Fox being the primary ball handler, and he can play that Draymond Green role, which is what a lot of analysts are saying is what Ben Simmons is made for. He's not going to be LeBron. He's not Magic Johnson. He's Ben Simmons, and we need to accept that. Problem is, Daryl Morey messed up. He should have taken that that James Harden trade, mm. and that's probably the biggest mistake he's made in his career so far. You can't tell me that team doesn't pro- probably doesn't beat the Bucks. James Harden and Joel, Matisse Thybul, Tobias Harris, maybe. You, and I think the problem was they didn't want to give up Tyrese Maxey. I'm taking James Harden over Tyrese Maxey and Ben Simmons. I'm sorry. He, he's a better player. Now, where the phone hangs up is if you say Deer Fox and Tyrese, or even Tyrese and – you know what? We can give him Tyrese and nine, right? That I think that's a better fit for Philly than Ben Simmons is because that doesn't fit. You can't have Joel next to a guy who can't, who's afraid to shoot. Now, the one package I would offer, you can have Buddy, Marvin, number nine, and a future first. That's all we're giving up. Past that, you're not getting Fox, you're not getting Tyrese. And that's what Daryl Morey wants. Now, what I'm scared of is Monty McNair's like, hey, Daryl, no De'Aaron Fox, no Tyrese. And Daryl's like, no, I was your boss back then. Give me, give me Tyrese and De'Aaron. But you can't give up that for a guy who can't even play in the playoffs. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to unpack that, bro. That's the that's the thing, because I think that Ben Simmons, right, this has been my thing. I've listened to a million podcasts. I've tried to break it down as in my head as much as possible. The the crazy thing about what Ben Simmons trade value is right now, according to Philly, according to Philly, is he does not fit enough NBA schemes to garner this kind of attention, right? I think when James Harden was on the trade block, you say you drop James Harden next to literally anybody and that team improves. I think with Ben Simmons, there are specific scenarios in which he is able to have a day one impact on a team. That's why that's why Golden State had to drop out of of the Ben Simmons sweepstakes, right? Because you look at their circumstances, A, they were just asking for way too much. They wanted 7-14 plus and it was getting kind of out of hand in terms of what they were demanding because they wanted a superstar caliber player in return. Not They're really not sure how you're supposed to feel about that. I understand the three-time All-Star thing with Ben Simmons, but let's be real. Again, we're talking about the ability to fit within a system. The biggest thing with them is they would have to try to make Ben Simmons fit in a scenario that's next to Draymond Green. I don't think that's as viable on paper as it might sound in like 2K, for example. So I think the weird thing is that Sacramento, I think, is one of those cases where if you're asking him to play the Draymond Green role, that's a situation where he fits seamlessly. And I think that when you talk about the trade that involves Buddy Heald, actually is a lot more on their timeline in terms of what Philly needs in order to be a win-now team. Because you guys have the better Tyrese, I mean, at least in terms of production on the floor. So you guys obviously are not going to make any trade that involves giving up your your Tyrese and Tyrese Halliburton for Tyrese Maxey in any way because it doesn't really make any sense. And I think that, honestly, they're in a situation where, like, I don't really know what they can do beyond you know that without setting themselves back talking about sacramento so yeah yeah 
Like, do so, you want to go back to go forward? And I think going all the way back to Ben Simmons for Tyrese and Buddy and uh, and number nine, that takes you too far back. I'm going to throw out one one last trade because I know, look, I think the, the Ben Simmons fit is interesting, but what are you giving up for him? That's going to be the big thing because when we talk about what Daryl Morey wants, I don't know if he's going to end up getting De'Aaron Fox. I don't think he's getting Tyrese Halliburton. He might get Buddy Heald, but I don't think he wants he Buddy Heald. And take him. But let's throw out one trade before we move on to our rapid-fire closing segment. A three-team deal that involves Sacramento Kings. Let's start with the Minnesota Timberwolves and what they receive. They receive Harrison Barnes. Sacramento, this is what they receive. Chris Porzingis, Malik Beasley, Jared Culver, and a 2025 lottery-protected first-round pick. The Dallas Mavericks are also involved in this trade. They get Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, a 2021 second-round pick, which would be the 39th overall pick. Carson, what are your thoughts on that one? That would be the biggest fleece in that the Sacramento Kings have ever had, honestly. That is the best trade that could possibly happen out of this. You're telling me you get Chris Taps with De'Aaron Fox. He's had issues with his injuries in the past, but like you can't tell me he when he's healthy, he's not a top 10 power forward. Malik Beasley's a bucket who, let's say he doesn't start, right? But you have him right next to uh, DeLon Wright, and he's just got the entire second unit to score. He's our primary scorer. And Jarrett Culver at the three, like, he's still young, but that's a fleece, honestly. That's like when I remember where I was when DeMarcus got traded to New Orleans. It was all-star night. I was watching it in my room, and I went downstairs, and I was like, we just got finessed. Buddy Heald is is trash and we lost to Marcus Cousins couple other guys now I look at this this would be who's taking the L in this I think Minnesota's by far taking an L Malik Beasley was their top two player throughout the entire season the Mavericks get Buddy Heald who's trash Marvin Bagley who is just as bad sometimes and maybe that works better for Dallas because they don't have uh, a big man that's afraid to go inside but for Sacramento, that might make you a playoff team. Honestly, you get a finally a big who is a stretch big. We haven't had a stretch big since DeMarcus. And look, and he was one of the, honestly, DeMarcus Cousins, one of the most dominant players I've ever seen in my life. Just watching him game after game. Malik Beasley's a bucket. Jared Culver, 3 and D. Like, that's his, his ceiling. And he hasn't hit that yet. But there's no reason why it can't. So I, I actually had that trade pulled up on my phone. I was going to ask you guys, but that's literally that'd be the biggest blessing. I feel like I just made all Sacramento Kings fans happy right now because this seems like almost the perfect trade in all aspects. You get rid of Harrison Barnes, who's an older guy that can contribute on another team, but getting a guy like Chris Porzingis, who is a, who I believe is a top 15 player when he's healthy, Malik Beasley, who's a nice guard forward combo. Like Carson said, was one of their best players this past season for Minnesota. And this was a guy who was putting off like 25 points a game every single night with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns out due to injury. And then Jared Culver, maybe he just needs a change of scenery. So maybe Sacramento, giving Sacramento some scoring coming off the bench could be very interesting. Jalen, 
Can I hear your thoughts on this trade? I mean, I think Carson put it perfect. If you're talking about it from a, from a Sacramento standpoint, I think everybody else is in a weird situation where you, you take advantage of everybody being in win now mode because of the play in tournament being integrated into, you know, the NBA's new play up playoff format. So I think when you look at guys targeting veterans who can produce right now, you put yourself in a position where you actually, like Carson said, low key kind of finesse. Because in this case, talking about the Kings, you address all three phases of your needs within one transaction. You're in a situation where you address another ball handling score in Malik Beasley, who, like I said, like Carson said earlier, um, actually would fit really intriguingly either next to Fox, next to Halliburton, or coming off this off the bench as a second unit scoring option, who could kind of be like a Lou Will guy for them, which for most guys, can't really accept the Lou Will role, but I think in this team, he would have full reign of the second unit next to DeLon Wright, which I think would be huge. I think when you talk about the Kristaps element of it, it gives them an athletic wing, uh, wing forward center type. I mean, he's a guy who can ball handle a little bit. He's a guy who can definitely run up and down the floor, which is going to give a guy like Tyrese plenty of outlet passes to go along with as a guy who's definitely willing to make a, make a run at things. I think Kristaps would be in a better position to maximize the superstar talent as well. Um, playing next to Luca in that like heliocentric offense, he barely got to touch the rock in the playoffs. It was Luca or die. I don't think this Kings team is playing through Deere in that way, especially not with Tyrese on the floor anymore. I think it used to be like that, but I think now things have improved with the fact that he has another ball handler next to him in Halliburton. And then I think the biggest thing too, when you look at the circumstance with Jared Culver is the unlocking of him. Um, being, again, this has a lot to do with the coach situation too, I think, in terms of actually opening up Jared Culver as a three and D, uh, prospect. I think if, with a, with a different coaching scenario, quite literally in terms of the team, but also hopefully not Luke Walton as well. I think Jared Culver can be unlocked as like a bench three and D wing guy with the kind of upside, the kind of upside that he had coming out of college was on not on par but like a tick below what we believe Mikael Bridges to translate as right just a, like a couple of couple of years later but like still one of those circumstances where I don't think that he he will be what Mikael is but I think he can be what maybe what Cam Johnson for for Phoenix was as a guy who just goes out there plays defense and shoots the three at a high clip so I think that's just one of those things that works out for Sacramento across the board. Now, the other teams involved in the trade, I think the fits make sense. Uh, Dallas probably is second best in that trade overall in terms of what they, what they yeah. get and how things will produce early. Um, especially with the fact that Luca has definitely sped their timetable up. So I think that trade is super interesting. Um, I will also say that Carson got it right. There's, there's a big time fleece taking place though. Cause, cause, Sacramento comes out like a band of being able to address all their needs in one transaction. So on that note, to close out the episode, I have some rapid fire questions for you guys. And Carson, I will start with you. Who is the most underrated player on your team this past season? De'Aaron Fox. No doubt about it. He's all-star caliber player. Wasn't even considered really. And Mike Conley got it above him, but like Mike Conley got it above a lot, of, a lot of other guys who deserved it. Darren Fox, if we're near 500 at All Star break, he better be an All Star. Very underrated compared to everyone else in the league. Jalen, what about you? Most underrated player on the Sacramento Kings, not named Darren Fox. 
Man, Harrison Barnes, I'm going to keep harping on this. 16 points, six points, uh, six, six, um, six and a half rebounds per game, shot nearly 40% from Trey Pound. Like, look, he's going to be a guy that maybe on this team is not going to be like the guy that leads them to the promised land by any means. But I think on a championship caliber team, he's going to be able to step in and do his thing. He's kind of been a model of consistency for this team for the last couple of years, like I mentioned before. And I mean, he just continues to do that for this squad. Now, again, I think they're going to be at it. We're going to be able to see the best of Harrison Barnes producing for a championship caliber team somewhere else. Just not this one. But I think that has more to do with his timeline than it has to do with his skill set. Because I think his skill set is everything that Sacramento wants in a three. But the fact that he's 28 puts him on a whole nother level when you talk about the fact that De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are their, their pillars. So moving on now to the most improved player, Carson, going back to you, strictly from the 2019-20 season to this past season, the 2020-21 season, who do you believe is the most improved player on your team? Again, I'd say De'Aaron Fox. Like, he improved in statistical categories, but he also improved as, like, a teammate, as a as a player who went up to player went up to Tyrese and was like, hey, instead of doing this, look at this, this, and that. He became a leader this year. He became stronger. He was getting to his shot better. And I think that's important for him because he started knocking down the three ball at certain points. And if he can knock down the three ball at like 36, 37%, man, it's scary for the league because he already, ha- he can already dunk on anyone. He can finish with the best of them. He can hit his mid range. He has a nice mid range step back that gets a lot of looks. So I'd say definitely De'Aaron Fox. But if I were to pick a second best player, it would have to be Rashawn. Like he he was by far the most improved for us besides De'Aaron Fox. Jalen, do you think De'Aaron Fox or Rashawn Holmes is the most improved player? And if it's neither of them, then who you believe it is? I think that De'Aaron Fox is easily that guy. He's improved every single year in terms of just his statistical output across the board. He's a guy who's become a more high volume shooter and is actually starting to slowly get more efficient despite having the rock in his hands a lot more but like a guy on the low key I mentioned him earlier in terms of them bringing him back I think Terrence Davis is going to be really intriguing for this team I mean in Toronto earlier on that year he had only averaged like seven points per game he bumped that all the way up to like nearly 11 or like 11 12 range um definitely improved as a rebounder on this team I think he's going to be a guy who can definitely play that wing position for you guys I don't I don't necessarily know, especially depending on what you guys do um, tonight um, with nine or even via trade um, or signings later on. I don't know if he'll start at the three, but he'll be an interesting bench uh, three guy for you guys just because we saw little spurts throughout the season um, with those 27 games that he was on the floor that give me a little bit. If, if I'm a Sacramento Kings fan, it gives me a little bit to look forward to in terms of him developing as a part of this core. Carson, I want to transition to you on this one because I think it'll be very interesting to see what this team looks like next year. But what seed do you predict that this team finishes at? So are you being realistic or, like, hopeful? You can do whatever you want. You're the fan, bro. Realistically, probably 11 seed. Hopefully, we get in that plan. I I don't expect an 8 seed because the West is so tough. And we're playing in the hardest division in the West with the Lakers, Clippers, Suns, and Warriors. Like, you have to play them, what, four times a year each? So that's 16 games right there that let's say we win a quarter of them. We're only winning four of them. So that's that's tough right there. But 11 seed is probably more realistic. 
10 seed is hopeful because I, I realistically do think that if you put De'Aaron Fox in a one game situation, kind of like how John Morant went off, you can't tell me, you can't tell me De'Aaron Fox can't give you 30, uh, close to 40 on a night to get you to go into the playoffs. I think what could be interesting is what De'Aaron Fox does against a team like the Warriors or a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, especially with those one-on-one guard matchups because uh, Steph Curry. He's killing Jaw. I'm sorry, but Jaw is – okay, who do you guys think, De'Aaron Fox or Jaw? I'm a Jaw stand, so I'm not talking. I'm a Jaw stand. Who's a better shooter? De'Aaron, I'd probably say. Who has a better team? Who's a better team? Yeah, last year. Come on. I guess Come it's Jaw, but like, does that have more to do with Jaw's skill set, though? No. I think Jaw makes the plays around him better. Skill set, but De'Aaron is just I a don't better forward. No way. Jaw's a shooter. way better facilitator than De'Aaron. Okay. Way better okay. Dude, he has Dylan Brooks, Jonas. That team was, oh, was so nice. Now we're gassing Dylan Brooks on because of a playoff run? Heck okay, no. Okay, Dylan, Dylan Brooks, Brooks or Buddy Hill. Ordinary out of Oregon until, re- until recently. Dylan Brooks or Buddy Hield? I'm taking Dylan Brooks. Buddy Hield has the, the shooting stats, but yeah, as a exactly. team player. As a team player, like defensively too, he was taking on the hardest assignments last season too. So I think that's, I mean, I think that's fair. I think when you go roster for roster, we'll see when the year starts. This is why I like when we have these little like end of podcast debates because it's like a good reason to make sure that we know we get Carson back on the pod. But I think this is one of those debates that I think will be really interesting when we talk about the West because I was literally going to say in my prediction in terms of where Sacramento ends, I think they end between 10 and 11 with a one-game scenario to get into the play-in. I think they're in a situation, if you guys remember a couple of years ago, where it was Denver versus uh, Minnesota for a chance at the playoffs with one game to go. Yeah. I think Sacramento easily can play themselves into a scenario to at least be a game away from the play-in. And again, like Carson said before, De'Aaron Fox in a one-game scenario is something that could push them into that play-in area. And once it's the play-in, all bets are off in terms of yeah. where things can go from that point in terms of what the final eight teams in the West will be. It's all about who's the best player in that in that series. And and Jaw proved he was a better player than Steph mm-hmm. in that. I think if Sacramento pulls off this trade with Dallas and Minnesota, I think yeah. they could they could possibly be the eight seed. Especially yeah, with that type of talent. It won't it, it might not happen, but I think with that amount of talent, you're getting Malik Beasley, a twenty point a game scorer. Chris Taps, if he's healthy, he's a top ten guy or top fifteen guy. Yeah, I think that there's a chance that that works. But it is time for that part in the podcast to hand the floor over to the fan to give us his final thoughts pertaining the Sacramento Kings this past season and things up ahead. So, Carson, close us out. You know, I'm really excited to see what this offseason holds for us. There's a lot on the line because De'Aaron Fox is not going to be happy being at 500 for the rest of his career. He's not Damian, he's not going to be like a Damian Lillard who for a long time, like was in and out of the playoffs. Darren Fox sees Bam out of bio, Jason Tatum, all those guys. He sees them thriving on teams. And maybe that does help that the teams were already set up. Donovan Mitchell already had Rudy Gobert. Uh, Bam already had a solid team and he, and he's in Miami. So people are going to come to Miami. I really do want to see the Kings make moves. We cannot be happy with being at 500 for the rest of Fox's career or even Tyrese's. Make that move for Buddy Heald. I, I don't think – I think Monty McNair has the balls to pull it off. 
he he was under Daryl Morey for how many years? And he's not going to be scared. He saw Daryl Morey pull triggers that, hey, looking back on it, maybe it wasn't the best. But in the time, hey, it was a good move. So I think there's a lot at stake this offseason. It'll be interesting. Tonight is the NBA draft. We'll see where that goes. Do they go out and draft a young forward? Do they surprise us with taking Sengun? Do they take a Josh Giddy? I think there's a lot at stake. Or do they trade the pick? It's a... It's definitely sad being a Sacramento Kings fan for 15 plus years. I mean, I'm literally only 19 and have barely ever seen the Kings in the playoffs, maybe two years. And I was two years old. So the greatest time that I remember watching Kings basketball was the Marcus Cousins going off for 50 a night because otherwise they weren't winning a game. And I finally see some promise with this team with De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese. And I'm just hoping it's not another situation like what they did with Dave Yeager, where Dave Yeager was putting this team on his back, basically. Yeah, he's not the same coach that Tom Thibodeau is, but he played his role. He had De'Aaron winning. He had him putting up numbers as a young player. He had Buddy playing out of his mind. That's the best Buddy's played since, and Buddy still had problems with it. He had Marvin Bagley playing well. So Marvin Bagley is a whole other issue we can talk about because whew, I, I love how he plays. I love the idea of Marvin Bagley just – how it's all worked out. I've actually met his dad, met his brothers, and they're both – his dad's not the coolest person. And Marcus is really cool. Marte is pretty cool. And I think he's got people in his head telling him, hey, you're better than Sacramento. But, dude, you're putting up like 15, and you're playing half a season, less than that. So are you really better than Sacramento? Harry Giles is a guy who embraced Sacramento. Marvin Bagley has never really embraced Sacramento besides making a music video out here. So it'll be interesting. Transitioning to the question of the day for our fans. What do you think Sacramento will do with the ninth pick overall in tonight's draft? Do you think they will trade the pick? Do you think they'll take Josh Giddy? Do you think they'll take Sangoon? Or do you think they'll take Franz Wagner? We want to thank our guest today, Carson Cook, for joining us on the Hoop Talk podcast to discuss some Sacramento Kings basketball. This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace!